Yeah, so let's start with your sobriety date. I think that would be the easiest way to kick it off. All right. So my sobriety date is February 13th of 2015. Oh, shit. So Coming up on it. Yeah, like seven years. Mm -hmm. I've been in the room since 2012. So 2012 was the last time I shot dope or (laughs) had a drink. But I had uh, like a week-long relapse in 2015 after actually working all of the steps. So Wow. Yeah. Grateful to be able to make it back that quick. I mean, usually it takes some, you know, monumental explosion or some huge level of surrender to bring people back again. So very lucky and fortunate. Yeah. No, I absolutely am. I probably would have kept going. It was just such delusion. I was taking a prescription medication. Mm-hmm. And it was a painkiller, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to take a little bit more of this, or I'm going to take it before the six-hour mark, and like, maybe it's a good idea to stick it up my nose now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I went to my sponsor and told her I might have relapsed, and she was like, just laughed at me. You know, it it was so delusional, but good sponsorship. I got back really quickly. Just the fact that there have been many times like that where I've asked my sponsor like a question, I forget what it was about, you know anything it could be anything like you know wanting to hook up with somebody or and his his response is always be i think i think just the fact that you're bringing it up is the answer <laughs> you know what i mean just the fact that you have to run it by somebody should be should be like right. an indicator of <laughs> the madness that you're you're going through so i do want to kind of pitch up front you know just so that i can get it out there you know just talk about your business really quickly if, if they're is anybody who's listening that, you know, wants to get active, wants to get fit? I believe he has a lot of online shit that sounds really great. So just tell people about it and then, you know, how they can find it. Is it online? Maybe your social media stuff. Yeah. So I have a business with my sister. It's called Pocket Blonde Fitness. And we help women and we're looking for women who want to lose weight, get fit, transform, Specifically, we're looking for women who want to actually do it, not anyone that's looking for like a quick fix, Mm -hmm. someone that's with it, you know, long term. We do customized training, customized nutrition specifically for you. We test hormones now Mm -hmm. to help you really troubleshoot, lose the weight that you want to lose. And uh, we have a really awesome community. So all of our clients are in a community on Facebook and on WhatsApp. So, you know, you don't have to go through that journey alone. So, yeah, you can find us on Instagram at Pocket Blonde Fitness or our website, PocketBlondeFitness.com. That's awesome. Yeah. Too bad I'm not a woman and I'm <laughs> 6'3", 280. <laughs> have your hands full. Hey, I could literally, help you. Literally. I could help you. Men lose weight. <laughs> much easier than women. It's really not fair at all. So <laughs> Why like, is that? What's the science behind that? So men have more, you know, like testosterone, okay. which makes it easier to lose weight. Women, we make children. So naturally <laughs> we like carry more fat to mm-hmm. be able to support that. And, you know, our hormones are different. The more muscle you have, the more lean body mass, the more weight you can lose. Mm-hmm. And women naturally don't have as much. So we're kind of just in a different ball game than men bullshit yeah to do an entire different podcast on gender inequality yes let's <laughs> start a movement here anyway so i what i kind of want to go to is you you mentioned up front that you was in 
started this this whole journey in 2012 but at some point i know it's fucking annoying you can't do much about it <laughs> like is it because i'm short <laughs> no i don't know okay just does it but but then you relapsed and something you mentioned which is not usually the case usually the everything that i see from you know having a little over 10 years anecdotal as it is but seeing a lot of people is are people that a haven't been through all 12 steps but on top of that if they have they start shedding or they're not doing some type of service they're not sponsoring people they're not active in a program but so just kind of tell me kind of what led to that decision and kind of how that worked out yeah so <clears throat> i you know i i came in in 2012 you know basically like off the street with nothing did everything I needed to do to get sober, worked an honest fifth step. I was actually sponsoring women. And, uh, you know, when you get sober, you get your life back. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I got really into, it was a big thing for me, is working out. Being the, you know, junkie that I am, <laughs> I was working out. That wasn't good enough. I wanted to, you know, take it all the way. So mm -hmm. I started training for bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. And that basically became my life. It was, you know, I was in the, I was working full time. I was in the gym, you know, like two hours a day plus posing practice plus mm -hmm. weighing my food. Plus, if you've ever seen a bodybuilder, like you basically have to starve yourself. Mm -hmm. So I was just not in a good mood. And what happened was that started to push recovery kind of away. And I had sponsees and I had a home group. But what would happen is I was so tired, I like was getting resentful mm. at having to go through having to, to my do this extra shit. Yep. With yep. bodybuilding, and this is just something that I'm usually ignorant about, and maybe it's just a stereotype. Like when you say that, were you 100% just bodybuilding, or did you have to do all the the crazy negative shit that's associated with it? That could be, as I'm really close to somebody that that that's kind of was their thing for a while. Like they'd stop using, but then that would kind of put them in the you know, they'd be using, you know, extra shit, testosterone, mm -hmm. human growth, humor, and like all these things that sometimes they'd be getting illegally. So it was like that behavior. Did you, did, were you a part of that or were you just straight up a hundred percent natural? I was not. And I, I actually pride myself in being natural. So in the <coughs> bodybuilding world, there are different divisions, just the same as there are in powerlifting. Mm -hmm. So some are drug tested and some aren't. Okay. So if you do the ones that are drug tested, and you get caught, you know, using anything, you're kicked out, like banned from the Federation. So period. Yep. Damn. I, I did it all natural. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, that would be difficult. Like he, he explained to me how like, just like the same behaviors almost, but like not even using a mind alter. Cause sometimes he said it was, he was a little ragey, but, but yeah. So anyway, so yeah, that, I mean, honestly, like that scared me. And even I did competitive powerlifting too, and know a lot of people in that world. And it's, it would be easy because it would, you know, make things a little bit easier mm -hmm. for me. I wouldn't have to train as hard. I <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't be quite as, as hungry because I had other, you know, substances, but it scares me. If I was a guy, I think <laughs> it might be different. Mm. women the effects of taking things like testosterone mm -hmm. are much different than when a man does it so yeah. i've always steered clear of that's that. awesome yeah. that's great so you you know 
got back into the got back into that super fucking resentful and then kind of what happened from there so you know i start cut not going to as many meetings it was kind of a fuzzy time but i'm assuming my prayer game was mm-hmm. you know like the things i do every day that keep me sober was starting to go away and i actually hurt myself and there were a few other things going on, you know, in my outside life, like being shameful about certain things, you know. And I hurt myself and I got prescribed Percocet. Hmm. And, you know, red flag, like I didn't tell anybody. And mm-hmm. it was the insanity of like, well, I've been sober and I have sponsees and I'm still going to meetings. <clears throat> like, I'm just going to take this, you know. Didn't run it by support, sponsor. I didn't run it by anybody and I would not recommend that. <laughs> And I think that's that thing that they talk about where they're like, you know, you, you've kind of already relapsed in your mind. Mm-hmm. But the the crazy thing is I didn't see that at the time. I mm. literally thought that I had it all under control. Mm-hmm. And I I kind of think I needed that. But I got the prescription. I had full intentions of taking it as prescribed. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I'm a recovering heroin addict, you know, and I start getting that like itch and I'm like, oh, this feels, you know, this is mm-hmm. nice. Like I'm going to take it a little bit earlier this time. And I just remember like crushing one up and like getting ready to snort it. And like in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I think you probably definitely relapse now, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> one back and forth. I did the whole script in like three days. And it was 15 day script or whatever. It was like 30. Is it really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's before. <laughs> That was years ago. Now I think you can, for most injuries, it's like 15 days is all you can get now. So yeah, I don't remember <laughs> in three I, days. It it was all really blurry and it's crazy. Cause I was still, I was actually managing a restaurant and I was like going into work, you know, and it, it was insane. Like how quickly it happened. And it wasn't until I was out that I felt that shame. And I was like, I must have like, I got to call my sponsor. I really fucked up, you know, and it was a ton of ego for me. I mm-hmm. did not want to admit that. That's that's what I hear. So many people want to come back usually way earlier, but they can't simply because of the judgment and the ego. And realistically, you know, at the end of the day, like I say it all the time, like we're all going to die. Like none of the shit really matters. Mm-hmm. But to tell somebody new, you know, it doesn't matter. Like there's going to be a large group of people that probably care, but who gives a shit, but that keeps people out for much longer. It's so scary that it's just a simple ego, ego thing, keeping them out there. Yeah. My ego, you know, gets in the way a lot. And I would be lying if I said it still didn't bother me. Like I still have the need to be like, well, yeah, my sobriety date is 2015. Yeah, you mentioned it. I've been in the room since 2012. But like, I actually, need I came you. in 1999 when I was a teenager. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I need you to know I haven't actually done dope since 2012. Right. Um, no, that's, so it's hard. Yeah, a buddy of mine's the same way. We just talked about him on the the the, the baby. Oh, I um, think I heard that. Yep. Yeah, he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's one that, that, that really struggles with that, you know, big time. It's hard. Same kind of story. Same story. You know, relapsed for just a short period of time. It got fucking wild for a short period of time. <laughs> yeah. You're very, very lucky. Yeah. I mean, I mean I we don't usually even... have that, that we don't get lucky like that. Usually. I thought about, you know, when my sponsor's like, yeah, you need to start your time over. I'm like, so I wasted my time on that like Mm -hmm. why don't i you know like shoot some dope and smoke some crack like that would be way better 
mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, a friend that I'm close to that's a primary counselor for this long-term program for men says that that's why it's so difficult because when you have time, like to get it back for a lot of people, it's very difficult because, you know, losing 90 days or losing six months isn't anything, you know? So a lot of people just perpetually relapse after that. So you're Mm -hmm. also, again, an anomaly to come back and not, not fuck everything up Yeah, and put some time together. Seven years in February, right? Yep. And you know, I, I, put that on the 12 steps that I did work thoroughly before. Mm-hmm. Like if I didn't have that base, if I didn't have that sponsor, if I didn't have a home group and like had already switched all of my friends to people in recovery, mm-hmm. no way I would have came back. There's no way. Really? Yeah. I, I see so many people that just, just hide it and then eventually become honest. Like I've sponsored somebody, you know, that relapsed and I gave them like a medallion, you know, in a meeting. And then they told me after, you know, it's like, you know, I don't give a shit. I was on their nine step. Like it doesn't bother (laughs) me at all. You know, I'm just a vessel for you, man. Right. So I guess rather than talk about, because you just kind of explained the surrender point there, which, you know, was pretty quick. What was it like leading up to like the moment that you realized I need, like, I need a program. I need something. I've got to stop. I would say what, 2012? 2012, yeah. So <clears throat> let's see. I I hit I probably what for a lot of people would be, you know, a lot of bottoms before I finally got sober. I a high uh, tolerance for pain. Yeah, very high tolerance. I got sober originally when I was 22, and at that time I had already spent about a year in jail due to nice. my using <laughs> and here in Columbus. So Pickaway County okay. is actually where I'm from. So I was in the county for three months mm-hmm. and then I got sent to a CBCF program in Portsmouth, Ohio. Okay. Which it's I'm so glad that treatment is changing a little bit, you know, with I feel like they're doing things differently now, but back then that was a program for women that were felon. Mm-hmm. felons and it was like a prison alternative or women could go there when they were leaving prison and it was a behavioral modification program hmm. so you walked around with your hands behind your back and you called everybody miss and you know i was in trouble all the time i was always doing what was called like a remedial task mm-hmm. where you sit and you wipe things like just wipe one area on the wall for like 30 minutes i don't know you know why they thought that better helps. than prison like drug addicts, mm-hmm. you know, at the time I thought prison would be better because I could do what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And here it was almost like, you know, boot camp, but you were still in prison. You still wore the prison outfit and like the Jesus sandals mm. and all of that stuff. So. The orange ones. Yep. Mm-hmm. No, they were brown. Oh, were they? Yep. The I think there are a lot of programs like that, you know, here that are at least they're exposed to meetings a lot. So mm-hmm. there's some hope in that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, so you're... Okay, you're, you're sorry, I got off getting, topic. Getting f- f- locked up. Yeah, so I'd gotten locked up. You know, I had, you know, done all the all the war stories, you know. Like what? Give me one. Give me an example. I'll get you back on track. I always love... So for a period of time, I 
<laughs> so I grew up in Pickaway County, which just mm-hmm. to give you some perspective, it's like in the country, mm-hmm. suburbs, you know, white people, America, you mm-hmm. know, if I'm being completely honest, mm-hmm. small town. And I had left there and I was living on the west side of Columbus, which is, I don't really know how to explain that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was living very accessible to what we need. Yes. Um, I was living in this apartment with these dudes that were like freshly out of prison and there were like a few prostitutes that were staying there. We didn't have electricity, so we were like stealing it. Mm-hmm. And the place we were staying was infested with bed bugs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it was just a mess, like the, the insanity of it at the time. You know, I'm like shooting dope and I'm like, I'm going to, you know, really get my life together. So I'm going to like get a job at Hooters. <laughs> Granted, I have no boobs at all. So I don't know like what I was thinking. And then I just remember going into Hooters and having like track marks plus like bed bug bites like all over my arms. <laughs> and then like, I think they gave me the job and fired <laughs> me like a week later. You didn't just... get the job anyway. They're like, fuck it. We need yeah. somebody to wait daily. So that was embarrassing. But I mean, that was a pretty, you know, low point. I had... I remember I had bed bugs in my car too because I had like clothes in there at the the place I was staying. And then I would like put, you know, the clothes in my car. And I remember we were riding around, you know, you, you meet random people and mm-hmm. you, you go out together to get what you need. And he was like in my back seat and he, he's like itching himself. And he's like, what, what is this? I feel like something's biting me. And I'm like, yeah, I don't. <laughs> you didn't I don't know? know? No, I knew, but you I know. told him I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was uh he's like damn she just walks around with bed bugs it's like a standard <laughs> thing for her yeah. now like just to put it in perspective you know a year before that i was graduating from high school doing like competitive cheerleading and i don't know i guess like i was never normal in high school because i was addicted to oxycontin when i was like hmm. 16 but um Still Why did you holding get that? it together. Where did I get Oxycontin? Why did you get Oxycontin when you were 16? Did you get it prescribed or just off the street? I did not get it prescribed. So I guess I can start like yeah. where I came. So from there. So as far as me like getting high, I truly feel like I have always been an addict. Mm-hmm. I, you know, other people like didn't think drugs were fun or whatever. And I remember... Once I started getting my hands on things, like I was Mm -hmm. very interested and I was always, you know, I will try, I want to try everything at least one time. Mm -hmm. I made that rule for myself. I'm the same way. Yep. The only thing I have a sadness about is I never got my hands on DMT, but. You know, I didn't either. That's my one thing. (laughs) That's my one thing. Everything. I've done everything else, but never got my hands on DMT. I think I have too. Yeah. Next life. Next life, for sure. There you go. For sure. Anyway. I'm sure. I hope I'm not a drug addict in my next <laughs> no shit. life. I'm over Whatever it. The fuck it is. I'm over it. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I'm trying everything. I always say my first true love was ecstasy. Mm-hmm. I loved rolling. I had a habit for dating guys that were much, much older than me and really bad. So I had this boyfriend. I was like 16 and he was 20. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. And, you know, opiate epidemic mm-hmm. where like this is 2006 seven so when all of that's going on and there was oxycontin everywhere mm-hmm. 
And I honestly, like, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know that you could get addicted. I just was trying things Mm -hmm. and, you know, he was doing oxys. And so I started doing oxys with him. And of course, when I started doing them, I love them. Mm -hmm. And people think, let's call them normal people, but they, their perception of what it's like on those, and maybe it would be, but for people like me and people like I've heard, it's, it's, it's an opposite effect. Like it's very energizing, you know, no pain. It's just like, you're ready to do life. It's not uh, what you see on intervention. Absolutely. <laughs> I agree. I mean, if you get really high, like right. you might nod out, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I started doing like half of a 40 mm-hmm. and you know, a day and then maybe like half an 80. And I was, you know, I was in high school, I was going to school, I was doing competitive cheerleading. I'm going to cheerleading practice, you know, <laughs> like Right after I snorted an oxy, and that was totally normal mm-hmm. back then. And I remember, you know, like I was, I would go hang out with him after school. He would split his his oxy with me, his oxy for the day. And one time he didn't have it, and I like literally tried to beat his ass, mm-hmm. like lost my temper, you know. And at that point, I feel like that's when I realized it was a problem. Mm-hmm. And the the dope sickness came shortly after. Mm-hmm. And all that stuff, you know, it was at the point where I was in high school and I was traveling. I did competitive all-star cheerleading. I'm traveling out of state to like Disney World, places like that. And I have to have drugs with me to be Mm -hmm. able to function. Yeah, that's horrible. Yeah. I wish you could explain to the users like it's, it's, uh, it's terrifying. Like, you know, when you start to get the chills and the goosebumps and like you just know shit's coming yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah. coming yeah but the way that i kind of describe it is you know being an addict especially with opiates once you have that physical dependency mm-hmm. it is like you need it like you need the air you breathe mm-hmm. and it's not like you're gonna run out of oxygen and die but that's how it feels mm-hmm. and if you could imagine you know anyone listening that has never experienced that like what it would feel like if you felt like you were running out of air and what you would do Mm -hmm. to get it anything anything yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's insanity yeah and 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 you know the physical shit that you're going through like you know restless legs not being able to sleep everything shits sneezing and one substance and you're immediately fine like immediately fine ready to continue on the day. Yeah, it's it, you know, you start <laughs> up. you start using it to to get normal. It's mm-hmm. like you're dying and then you get it <laughs> right. and then like flip the switch. I'm ready to go. You guys want to go clean, go do something fun? Yeah. Yep. So, you're the badass cheerleader. What do you do to get in your first charge? Or what get what did you do to give you a year in jail? It's a long time. Yeah, so those were the Oxycontin days. I start shooting dope. <laughs> well, no, I got my charge when I was doing dope. But, you know, a little bit of background on that again and, like, maybe the insanity of using. Yeah. I remember, you know, I'm still on Oxys, so, like, I'm the good person. Mm-hmm. And the people around me that I had started using with start, you know, doing heroin. And I remember, you know, I had some people with me and we were – driving from Pigway County to Columbus to get some stuff. And they had told me that we were getting oxys, but they only told me that because I still had a car. (laughs) (laughs) 
And we get up there. Just five minutes. (laughs) Yeah. We get up there. 40 minutes. They're buying heroin, not oxys, you know? And I remember driving this car and seeing them shoot dope in the back of my car. And I'm just like completely disgusted, you know? The irony of like this one thing's worse than the other. Yeah. I'm completely disgusted. I'm like, how can you guys do that? Like, you know, and I'm really upset. So, of course, I snort some because I have to get well. Mm -hmm. And And you're not a junkie, so you're not going to shoot it. Right. I'm better than that. Right. But that didn't (laughs) last long. I mean, I was shooting, like shooting it within maybe like a month at Mm -hmm. the most. And again, this goes back to the opiate epidemic and I think that they had started regulating oxys, so like you couldn't like remove the time release, you couldn't yeah, get the them gel, as easily. They gelled it up. Yep, yep. I so that. everyone kind of transitioned into mm-hmm. shooting dope. So once I started shooting up, everything got worse, mm-hmm. way worse. Got sicker, easier. Went through more shit to get what I needed. You know, all of that stuff. And I had that little phase on the west side of Columbus, like <laughs> <laughs> little west side girl. A year, a year or so after I started sh- shooting up, I think. And actually, what happened is that house with bed bugs. The guy that I was living with, I'll leave his name out of it, but he mm-hmm. was already a convicted felon. And I don't know why I wasn't around at the time. Who knows who the where the hell I was at? He ended up getting charged for his third armed robbery. Fuck. And he is actually in prison right now for 25 to life. I do look him up occasionally just when I'm thinking back, you know, <laughs> on it. charges. Yeah. And I'm like, This Damn. is where it could have been. Yeah. Because it was like third strike. So I didn't have that, you know, place to stay. And let me just say, when I was living there, I was living with like some prostitutes. Mm-hmm. But I was like, you know, still looked decent enough to like sleep with the main guy. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to, you know, go walk mm. the streets on the West side. That's, that's where I was at. So but do I, you think you would have <laughs> if you needed to? Probably. Probably just being, you know, if you're yeah. sick. Yeah. I think men, we've joked about that. Like I've joked about that with my friends and it's like, if it's probably a good thing that men can't do that. You know, it's not an option because I, I fucking, I'm 100% what if I was dope sick, you know? It's because like my option was like commit crime, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or beg. Yeah. And so I was just the sidekick to whoever was committing the crime, Mm -hmm. but I would help out or sleep with them or, you know, I had this convenient thing of saying like, manipulative behaviors. I'm always, I've always dated the drug dealer. Well, yeah, like, (laughs) but didn't matter how old the drug dealer was, what the drug dealer looked like, Mm -hmm. you know, I was 19, 20 and still, you know, like. Fairly good looking, I think. Survival mechanisms. Yep. (laughs) That's basically what it is. Yep. Yeah. So. So. Oh, so anyway, so I'm getting my dope up here, you know, living with the prostitutes and whatnot, sleeping with the main guy. He he goes away. So I have to go back to Pickaway County and I'm down there. I actually was selling dope. I was a drug dealer for a minute, too. (coughs) So I still like how to connect. Mm -hmm. I thought I was a drug dealer. (laughs) We're trying to find people to buy the dope that I have because I'd get like a gram at a time, you know, Mm -hmm. and then sell it and then go up and get more. And he calls someone and, you know, we go to meet him at McDonald's. The guy was like, yeah, I'll take it. I'll meet you here. Sold him the dope. Didn't know I committed a felony. 
Later, when I got indicted, it turns out that the person we had reached out to and sold to was a confidential informant, Hmm. told us the place to meet, which also happened to be in a school zone. So it was all kind of, you know, set up. up. So I got... When you think about it. it. I mean, at at the end of the day, like, we shouldn't be committing crimes. It's horrible, but just from... Like, it's fucked up to, to tack those things on top of it. Yeah, it is. And it's not, I mean, okay, Still I don't want to justify it. No, I, I'm not either. I'm just saying, like, it's fucked up. It was totally set up, though, you know? Yeah. I was just trying to get rid of some stuff <clears throat> from mm-hmm. somebody who is a known drug addict who always buys it. And, you know, mm-hmm. he was like, oh, yeah, meet me here. It was at a McDonald's, which happened to be in the vicinity of a school zone, which I had no idea. So I got a felony for drug trafficking, felony five, permitting drug abuse. So I had like two and a half years over my head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I ended up pleading guilty to like the good deal I got was pleading guilty to just the F4 Mm -hmm. drug trafficking and then letting then the other one would get dropped. Did you have an attorney or was it just public defender? I did have an attorney. Your parents help with you help you with that? My dad helped me get an okay. attorney. I cannot <laughs> say. So I don't think he was a good attorney. It wasn't really a criminal attorney. It okay. was more so like, you know, my dad's <laughs> business attorney. <laughs> Fucking CPA. <Yeah. laughs> Just so happened to show up to your court date. Yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't remember. Deal. I mean, obviously I didn't fucking like him because <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, you, you know, I felt like I was getting fucked over. <laughs> and I still kind of feel this is what I mean when I say there are a lot of alternatives, I think, now, such as drug court oh, and things yeah. like that. You know, and back then, I, I wasn't that old. It was the first time I'd ever been in trouble, you know, mm-hmm. and they sent me away. And I kept that felony on my record until I got it expunged mm-hmm. seven years later. Yeah. So. that That's what you did a year for? Yep. Yeah, first charge. What the fuck? Yep. So they went ahead and they sent me away. And uh, My sister has a an extensive criminal record and just got a bunch of trafficking charges. She can't get it. She's not, I don't Hopefully she does. I have one that has years and one that doesn't, but yeah, she didn't fucking spend. She spent like six months in jail, you know, for lots of time and lots of drugs, lots of drugs. So I don't know a ton about that, but what Mm -hmm. I know is that where I'm from is a, very, I don't know, like they all love Donald Trump. Is that okay to say? <laughs> Whatever you want to say, it's 100% um, open. Which I'm not necessarily saying there's anything wrong with that. Whatever, I'm not going to get into politics. Yeah, yeah. But they're very tough on crime. Mm. And at at the time on drugs. And it was just like, you know, anyone that's doing what they're not supposed to do. You know, there it was. I don't even know if there is drug court there now. But it was just like we're Probably sending, maybe not. we're sending them away. Yeah, the different counties are different. Like I, I don't know if you know this, but in Delaware County, the, on I don't know if it's still there, but before you know, I got clean and sober. There was actually something that they had on the front. The judge had put on the front like a posted thing that says you're not. It says you're not in Franklin County, and I think it's because a lot of people would get like you know major badass attorneys and then come there to try to run the show and he mm-hmm. was basically like but i don't give a shit what you're think you're here to do type of deal so i could see that yeah. when you say you have a resentment towards is it just in general or is it something that you've worked through with the steps 
when I say <laughs> you so, so I'm saying resentful about getting. Mm-hmm. Is it a resentment towards that person, towards that attorney, towards the judge? Like, have you worked through that? I think I have. So I'm being a little bit. You, you just know, brought it up. <laughs> if I'm being so, if I'm being completely honest with you, mm-hmm. I do believe that everything happens for a reason. And I if I had that. not went to jail, I prob I can't I can't say for sure, but. I was in a pretty low place, mm-hmm. and who knows whether I would be alive or not. Just you, let you right back out. <clears throat> yeah. So did you detox in jail? I did detox uh. in jail a few times. I, I Right before I got in trouble, I kept getting, like, the cops were on to me, I think, because I kept getting arrested for different <laughs> things, like driving under suspension or, like, they would get me on anything, like an unpaid fucking parking ticket that or something. That town bullshit. Yeah, and Jesus. every time I'd get pulled over, I'd there get taken is. into jail. And they'd impound my car and, like, the whole thing. There um, she is again. Grab yeah. her. Yeah. <laughs> the little town drug dealer. Yeah, you know, me with my, like, Timberland boots and my hoop earrings. That was so embarrassing. <laughs> One gram. <laughs> yep. One gram over here. Gram at a time. So you get released? What... Kind of what happened when you got released? Which time? So, <laughs> the, the for the year, did you get out and do any program related shit, or did you go right back to using? I went right back to using. How long did it take when you were out? So, not long at all. And you know, they always say that you pick up right where you left off. Is that true? It's very true. Mm-hmm. So I you know, had all this time. And let me back up and say that I did that year in two different stints. Okay. Don't want to be like dishonest Mm -hmm. because I did get let out after, I don't know, like seven months or something. And I couldn't handle probation without getting high. Mm -hmm. And then I went back. They just had you do the additional time. Yep. Yeah. And then when I got out, I think that I turned 21 after I got out. Mm-hmm. So we'll start with that. <laughs> and, you know, I remember I most went, of us good little addicts, though, were going to bars well before we were 21. So it was never like an exciting thing for me. Yeah. I hear about like my normal friends like, well, I finally get to go to a bar and get a shot. And I was like, dude, I was sitting at bars at 16. No, I was for me. too. Yeah, right. At, like major Woody's <laughs> doing the hottie body contest when I was like right. a junior in high school. So really, it was just you know a thing in my mind because mm-hmm. I had already been to bars mm-hmm. a ton. But you know, poor me, I have to like go to the bar on my twenty first birthday. I'm just turning twenty one. I can legally drink. Mm-hmm. Things are gonna change. Just gotta stay away from the dope. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Yeah, not me. Yeah, it's not me. Uh, it's not alcohol. It's not anything else. And, you know, that that just never lasted very long. I never did, like, took myself out of the same place with the same people. Mm. And ultimately, you know, the dope was always still around. And I always, you know, went back to it. You know, and for me, I think, like, the breaking point in me getting kind of sober after being in jail was... I always did a really good job of like, you know, if everything looks okay from the outside, then I'm okay or Mm. people will at least think I'm okay. And I worked really hard, not all the time, not like when I was living on the West side, but after I was out of jail, you know, I was like, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And that will keep people off my back, you know? So I start 
going to college and casually shooting dope for, you know, <laughs> maybe a month. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And uh, it just like it, it never worked, you know? Mm-hmm. And at some point, right before I finally did decide to get clean, I quit going to school. I dropped out and it was kind of just like, you know, I don't care what my parents have to say. I don't care what anyone thinks of me. Like, I am going to get high. I need to get high. I accept this as my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's what I'm going to do. And that was on the place that I was at, you know, mentally when I surrendered. Mm. It's not the story, but that's where yeah. I was at. Yeah. No, I mean, that. <clears throat> a lot of people don't reach that level of honesty. Like, you know, I, I share all the time. I didn't, like, when I went. When I checked myself into treatment, I had no plans of staying there. And like, realistically, I didn't think I had a problem, you know, and it wasn't until I heard people speak in there that I realized like, you know, it's kind of sharing the same thing that I'm going through. So, but a lot of people, it's weird to think as educated and intelligent as a lot of us are like that, that's the case. Like I didn't realize I had a problem. I had felt any warrants when I checked myself in there, didn't realize I had a problem. You know what I mean? So Do you remember the first time you used? So the first time I drank is actually. So that was what you used first was alcohol? Yep. Okay. I remember, and I have no idea why, but I remember my dad making my cousin and I mudslides when we were in like fourth grade. Are they in the program? No. No? Okay. Just regular? So I remember that, but the first time I, I guess, which is more significant to me, I decided to drink. Mm-hmm. I was in sixth grade, I think. Wow. And um, with a really good friend at the time, she had older sisters, and they all partied at the house. They were in high school, mm-hmm. her older sisters. And I think they were graduating from high school and had a party with alcohol, you know, and I'm like little, I don't know, 12-year-old me mm-hmm. over there. And we had screwdrivers, so vodka orange juice Mm -hmm. and i think i had like maybe one glass of it and and we were wasted i still have pictures somewhere from this night you know just driving a golf cart around being nuts and yeah that, that was the first time i drank and i can say that 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 like from that point on how i said i was always interested in drugs you know, the next year I'm smoking pot all the time and mm-hmm. doing whatever I can get my hands on. Just progressing on up. Through. Progressing on up until I'm addicted to Oxycontin at 16, mm-hmm. 12 to 16. Right. Yeah. The So in terms of like, you've, you mentioned a little bit, but what was your childhood like? My childhood is complicated. So I grew up in a... Very chaotic and violent house. Okay. There was domestic violence. There was, you know, I have a lot of stories about that. You know, like my mom getting her head busted open and me, you know, like packing my bags. Like, come on, mom, let's go. Mm -hmm. Or like, you know, seeing blood on the floor. And like my parents will still tell you that none of that happened. As part of my sobriety, I've had so to work weird through that. that. They're not fucking honest about shit. Like. But it, it was very chaotic. It's still very chaotic if I go back today. But I think kind of the different thing was. They're still together? They are still Never together. Never got divorced? Nope. Hmm. So it's Good kind of them. like, no, not really. <laughs> I like wanted them to get divorced. <laughs> no. 
but it's kind of. Uh, I just mean a lot of lot of lot of like traumatic things that happen. It seems for some reason he, despite all that insanity, is seems to be divorced. Seems to be like the crutch for a lot of addicts and alcoholics. Like it seems to be some fucking thing. I don't get it. I think it. I mean, I think it would have been better with divorce. Mm-hmm. What I know now that I didn't know then is fairly certain my dad's a narcissist Mm. and my mom is extremely codependent on him and she did try to leave a few times when we were younger Mm -hmm. and that ended like in a very manipulative like come back to me type of way you know control things like that Mm -hmm. and now i feel like she's kind of at the point where that's not gonna happen Mm -hmm. so i you know we we work through that and it's a process (laughs) and i go to trauma therapy Mm -hmm. and things like that but what i can say about my childhood is so all these things were going on in my home but my dad you know in this small town we lived in was like a prominent guy Mm -hmm. had plenty of money And our whole thing was like, well, we have a nice house and we have nice cars and I coach football and like, you know, everything is very pretty from the outside, Mm -hmm. but we don't talk about what's actually happening on the inside with the chaos and domestic violence. Yeah. That didn't happen. Like, like you constructed some crazy shit like that in your head. Yeah. Yeah. My mom's been very, my mom is, you know, very honest, but that same type of household. You know, that I grew up in. My father was shot and killed when I was a year old. And so she was always with like horrible, horrible fucking abusive people. You know, she's an alcoholic. So she, she's pretty crazy. So she, a lot of these situations, guys might have been trying to defend themselves, to be quite honest. <laughs> but knowing her, you know, the way she was, she was very violent and a martial artist, crazy as shit. But that's awesome. Very wild, like uh, very wild childhood. And remembering, you know, hearing, Hearing her getting beaten or the Mm -hmm. pillow, some really crazy, like traumatic. The most traumatic was hearing her being like smothered. You know what I mean? Like shit like that, you know, Mm -hmm. like just so. Yeah. But she, she's honest about it. Yeah. My mom, it's, it's really twisted, you know, it it is. It's so so fucking weird that there's no, there's no incentive for them to be dishonest anymore. Like you're grown, you're out. It's over that they're just living their lives. It's like it's embarrassing almost to them. And I mean, it's still the same way. I lived with them for a short period Mm -hmm. of time. Did you? Okay. In sobriety when I quit my job and started my (laughs) business. And I I mean, it was awful. And it was then when I was living with them. But that allowed you, you know, the the freedom to build your build your shit up, you know? Yeah. And it also put me in a place where I'm like, (laughs) it's time to go to trauma therapy (laughs) and like really work through these things. You guys want to come? No, we're good. We don't have anything that we do. Yeah. (laughs) You could, you could use it, mom. Nothing's wrong here. But yeah, that's, that's outside help. I think is a whole nother. A hundred percent. Yeah. I I say that to people all the time. Like the A, I want to be clear here. Like, the A's required, but just like anything else, like they're layers of, of self-help. Like, you know, the A is not going to be the end all and all, yeah. you know, whether it's NAAA, whatever the fuck you go to. Now there's DAA, which seems pretty cool. What the fuck is that? You haven't seen it? DA? Yeah, it's starting. It's, it's been around for a while, but it's coming here. There's one on Wednesday. I haven't been to it yet, but I've always agreed with this and, and understood the issues the AA faces because pretty much the traditions are just shit on nonstop because the standard straight up alcoholic does not exist. I mean, I do know a few 
couple young ones I've had in my sober house, which I always find it weird when it's just like 23 year old kid that's straight up like an alcoholic. I'm like, what the fuck? That doesn't I normally think that's happen. fucking weird too. It doesn't ha- normally yeah. happen, but uh, no, DAA is basically just Drug Addicts Anonymous and it's, it's the big book, but with, it's basically AA, but with drugs also. How Seems does that pretty differ cool. from Narcotics Anonymous? Just out of curiosity. Um, because they don't go through the big book. It's separate literature. NA? Yeah, it's it works how and why and the basic text. It's okay. a nothing, nothing big book related. So, you know, it's just pretty much Alcoholics Anonymous with drugs, which is pretty much what Alcoholics pretty Anonymous much what is. Alcoholics Anonymous is <laughs> right. today. I mean, that's primarily where I go. Right. And I've had some old timey sponsors who are, you know, like bitching at me about the traditions. And I get it. Mm-hmm. I get why they're important to protect, but. Yeah, the clarity in the message. You know, you're not making shit confusing. You yeah. know, it'd be like going into an Overeaters Anonymous meeting and wanting to talk about drugs. Like, it's like. But I what think the fuck? that drugs and alcohol are the same thing. I agree. And the way 100%. that I try, I'm like, what the fuck is the difference? Because I think that we both go to that place of like, yeah, you know, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Obsessive compulsive self-seeking com- behaviors. Yeah. But the, that same dark, mm-hmm. incomprehensible demoralization. That's mm-hmm. why I explained my bottom. And I think that if you get to that, whether it's alcohol or it's drugs, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. Yeah. You know, to work the 12 steps out of the big book, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Right. So the the other thing I wanted to kind of talk about is you talked about the rabbit hole. The rabbit hole. I like the way you worded that. The rabbit hole of spirituality. <laughs> Why do what's 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 that about? Rabbit hole of spirituality, I think, is the best way to describe it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, you know, Due to being sober and working the 12 Mm -hmm. steps, I have a higher power of my own understanding. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I, you know, can call it whatever I want. Mm -hmm. And, you know, through really like the 11th step and Mm -hmm. like trying to focus on meditation and things, I feel it's been my experience that once I started meditating consistently, I kind of opened up this door Mm -hmm. to like so many other things, which I would call a rabbit hole. Mm Mm-hmm. And I love it. I, you know, and, and like that has led me into all types of things that I would have normally been closed off to, such as like, you know, I'm, I'm really into like seeing psychics, mm-hmm. past life regression type stuff. You know, I've changed. I do believe that we live multiple lives and, you know, uh, soul having a human experience. I absolutely believe that. And I think that that kind of path is never ending as long as I am open-minded and willing to try new things. Mm -hmm. And I just get jazzed about it, Mm -hmm. you know? And I'm so glad, like so grateful for being sober Mm -hmm. that I, you know, I grew up in a Christian household. Well, they called themselves Christians. (laughs) You know, they went to church. Just you on know. Sunday. Yeah. And I never felt connected to that. And Christmas. Yes, exactly. And Easter. Easter. Right. Don't forget yeah. Easter. Um, and I never felt connected to that. But through being able to define my own higher power, I still don't necessarily know what that is. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I mean by the rabbit hole of spirituality, because I'm always looking into different stuff, whether mm-hmm. it's Buddhism, you know, Taoism. I don't even think it has to necessarily be a religion. Mm-hmm. 
I just take a little bit from everywhere and I can kind of take that rabbit hole, like in any direction. Right. Yeah. No, I think that that's a great description. So I'm glad I brought it up and heard you say it. I've, I've wondered about, there's a really something I've been interested in and maybe you could share your experience on this if you've looked into it, but like a silent retreat. Have you heard of those? I have heard of those. Like, I have never done one, but I have heard of them. And a friend of mine, I, I know you know who he is. I'll tell you after, but he's talked about these these huts here um, that you go to that are like like heat heat huts. I don't know what like a sweat lodge. Sweat lodge. Okay. Yeah, there's there's one here, and I guess there's like several doors that you're supposed to go through, and he didn't make it past the first, and they stayed in there for all eight. And we're like saying and shit. And he thought he was going to die after the first. Seems pretty fucking crazy. He said, you should go. And I was like, you just said, like, <laughs> you just said it was the most terrifying experience you've ever had. And you thought you were going to die, but I should go. No, but the, the silent retreat, there's several close to the state that are free. And that to me, like shows somebody that understands how important, like, spirituality is when mm -hmm. it's like that when the benefit behind it they do accept donations at this location i can tell you about it but they only accept donations if you complete it like it's such a fucking like you know when some place is offering that that the benefits and the and the real shit behind it it's not like some you know bougie you know resort like, like an ayahuasca retreat right yeah, yeah yeah which i'm sure there's benefits to those locations as well and there are some places like that but yeah, so that sounds very interesting. I would definitely be down to check something like that out. Mm -hmm. I've done, I was doing like meditation with other people at a non-denominational church mm -hmm. for a while. And, you know, and they do a silent retreat as well, where it's like a few days where you're just meditating, you know, doing nothing. And I, shit like that is really cool to me. There's a great Buddhist place on on the, the street out here that you go down. So what does your program look like today? Today, well, like standard program shit, standard program shit. <clears throat> so I still go to my home group. I've had the same home group since 2012. And you just feel destined to, to have the same home group. Like you'd be giving up on it or you, Oh, that's just hard. seems like, it seems like you like to change a lot up, but you haven't changed that for some reason. I haven't for a long time. So I truly feel like that home group and those people saved my life. Like I said, I came in when I was 22 and uh, it's a, it's a meeting that a lot of young people attend. Now I'm 32. So mm -hmm. I'm like above the, the age range now. You're making it older. I'm making it older, but just the importance of having younger people in the rooms and they always do a first step meeting there. Mm. And the first time I attended that meeting, fresh out of my last detox after What's my a first step meeting? First step meeting is um, a meeting where you talk about just the first step. So admitted we were powerless mm -hmm. over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. And it, it breaks up into two things. So one side of the room goes over all 12 steps. Mm -hmm. And the other side of the room goes over only the first step. Mm -hmm. And sitting in that meeting is where... I heard people my age at the time talking about their experience from the first step. And I just started crying because I'm like, I get it. Mm -hmm. I am powerless. They're talking about me in this meeting. Yeah, it's all about me. <laughs> They're talking about me. And someone finally understands mm -hmm. me. 
And, you know, I chaired that meeting last Friday because it's good to go there even with some sobriety Mm -hmm. and hear, remember the insanity when you're still kind of coming fresh Mm -hmm. out. So it's hard, though, just like with any home group. A lot of the same people have been in it. Mm -hmm. It's on Friday nights. I don't necessarily need a Friday night meeting anymore. Mm -hmm. But for right now, until I find something better, I'll be there. Yeah. Another really cool thing that I'm doing right now is going to the jail. Mm-hmm. So the women's jail here in Columbus, mm-hmm. I go there with two other women every other week and okay. we get to go into the jail and you we get to speak. go in it and then leave. I get to go in it and leave. <laughs> and let me you, speak. Can I ask you this question? Yeah. Because I, I've, I, I've never been in there, but I always feel like. I would be really worried that something's going to come up <laughs> when I go there. Do do they check anything on you or do you do you just get to go in? So they had to run like a full background check okay. on me before I went in. I've had some other people that have wanted to go in. You have to be out of trouble for a certain amount of time. You do? Okay. Um, actually, really funny. I got, you know, I've been sober for a minute, like, and I... Remember, I've been in the room since like 2012. Yeah, okay, sorry. So, <laughs> speaking in you. terms of family, mm-hmm. I got a letter <laughs> from the jail delivered to my parents' house because mm-hmm. I was using their address for a while. And it was basically just for me to turn in my, you know, like <clears throat> fill it out for another background check mm-hmm. that they do annually. And I got it. And my brother works with my dad there and he gets it and he like takes it to my mom he's like Lacey has a letter from the franklin county sheriff's department like what do you think she did and you know like all these years later like they're still traumatized and think that <laughs> something hiding she's probably using it again something's going wrong and my my mom calls me <laughs> i'm like i bet it's like to fill out my application do you want to open it while we're on the phone so <laughs> yes they do do background checks and mm-hmm. so what do you guys do in there is it just a meeting it is a meeting it's a So we open up, you know, regular format, the way you would any meeting, talk about the steps. And we generally take in, we keep the readings pretty simple. Mm -hmm. So like a grapevine, do you know what the grapevine? No. So grapevine is, it's AA. Okay. And uh, it's where people in the fellowship like write stories in. And then it's published in a little magazine called the grapevine. So we usually do a reading out of there. And like a daily reflection, try to keep it simple. And we just talk to the women in there. It doesn't necessarily go like a normal meeting. And that's okay just because you're talking to. It needs to be. There's not going to be a bunch of people who understand the process of recovery or sobriety. Right. right. So we kind of open it up for them Mm -hmm. to talk about what they're kind of going through. And and we will do the readings just to throw that in. And then it's like, you know, what can you guys relate to in this? Mm -hmm. But we let them, you know, ask us questions or kind of share what they're going through. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like coach them through it. Like, you know, they're in this place. And it's like, yeah, you're not alone. You know, it's the insanity that we all go through. And I was in your shoes, you know, and we ask them if either they're going to prison or getting out, if they have like a treatment center lined up or Mm -hmm. anything like that to try to, you know, steer everybody on the right direction and show them that you can get out of that cycle if Mm -hmm. you want to. So that's, that's pretty rewarding. Yeah, no shit. It is. I do that on Thursdays for a treatment center, you know, every Thursday for a treatment center, but that's my best day of the week. Mm -hmm. Nothing like somebody that's like desperate 
And that was the one thing like you just shared, you know, like, oh my God, they're talking about me. I think everybody goes through that, you know, that's new. Mm-hmm. Like you hit, you're like, fuck, I didn't even bring this up. Like they're literally saying my story. They're talking about me. And then what would you say? I really like to ask this, uh, especially for women, because, you know, you definitely go through a lot more struggles, especially with dealing with people, dealing with fucking men, sometimes with, you know, time, sometimes without time. But what's the most important thing as a woman in early recovery to really get through what I would consider like the first six months, which, you know, to me, building up that time and distance from the last to the next, like there's some tools in between versus, you know, having a thought and then going and using like obsession mm-hmm. to compulsion. So as a woman, like what, what were your ways that you really were able to get over those hurdles in early recovery and sobriety? Uh, I could, I could name a few. One of them is not, <clears throat> I don't think directly related to being female. Mm-hmm. One thing I always tell the women in jail is, you know, I knew I was ready to change when I changed my phone number. That was huge for me. Mm-hmm. You know, then my, my dealers didn't have my number. I couldn't reach out to them. You know, when I needed anything, I didn't have people calling me you just mm-hmm. randomly, you know, you get the calls. That was really, really big for me. And I think that is such a huge commitment to really kind of leave that lifestyle behind and be like, okay, I'm open to something new. And female specifically, it's really, really, really important to have a sponsor and a few women, definitely a sponsor and some women with some time around you. For me, and I think it happens to a lot of women, you know, we're, we're not saints, but we come in and we see mm-hmm. dudes and, you know, start hooking up mm-hmm. with people when we're first coming in. And for me, I did make that mistake and it was very detrimental as in like I didn't have the tools to handle the heartbreak, mm-hmm. you know, and I come in and I'm codependent and I'm a mess and I have no self-worth and then I'm sleeping with this guy and I'm like oh you've been sober for three years like Mm -hmm. you have your entire life together (laughs) and I worship you just because you know fresh off the street like Mm -hmm. I didn't understand what that was like and I'm not saying that he necessarily did anything wrong Mm -hmm. he was you know getting his needs met as well but I didn't have I wasn't able to cope with that. I stayed sober because I had a really good sponsor Mm -hmm. who got me in the steps, you know, and I, it was hard for me to be honest with anybody at that time as well. So I had to learn to like trust her. Including the sponsor? Including the sponsor. Just, I don't know. You know, Mm. I never knew what it was like to be honest with people when I was coming in. So it took me a while to build that trust, but she was still there. Mm-hmm. And I also had some other women and some like running buddies. Mm-hmm. I think running buddies are important. The girl that was my running buddy when I came in is still one of my really good friends today. I think mm-hmm. I'm actually going to No, I think she's out of town, but I'll see her a lot on Sunday nights. Oh, actually, cool. you know, this long later, she's mm-hmm. one of my best friends and we kind of went through hell and back in early sobriety Just some and support. Some good support. Build those bonds. Yeah. Support is good. Yeah, those early, early, super early mistakes are always really good opportunities. You know, mm-hmm. I've shared so many times in my story, like being a nightmare for like the first two years, you know, in terms of that shit. But like the growth, unfortunately, through lots of pain for other people, myself, 
Like there's tons of growth in that, you know, cause you kind of, for me, you know, I just, I learned what I wanted, what I don't want and just <laughs> lots of mistakes, you mm -hmm. know, lots of opportunity for growth. So growth kind of comes silver through pain. lining on it. <laughs> I got to remember that still today. Growth mm -hmm. comes through pain. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, I, I appreciate the shit out of you and I appreciate you coming on here. So of course, thank I'll you. See ya.